Welcome to My Shitty Podcast, So Shitty It Only Has One T. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing, and thanks for telling a friend, most importantly. I also want to thank my guest, John Henry, for coming on, talking to us about uh, the distillation process and uh, his position at Revolution Spirits. Um, kind of give you some insight to the booze that we're drinking. Um, so yeah, uh, I had a fun time with this one. Hope you guys enjoy. Um, without further ado, let's let the cat out of the bag. For that. Yeah, and just stick the microphone in their face. Oh or just stick things in their uh, face. Talking to this. Why don't we start with uh, who you are and, and what you do. My name is John Henry and I work at Revolution Spirits Distillery. Nice, man. Um, uh, did you work yesterday? Yeah. What is a, what is a day in the life of a distiller uh, look like? What, what does your day look like? Like whenever you wake up and punch a clock, uh, <laughs> whenever you come in in the morning, what do you have to do to, to, get, uh, to get your spirits ready? Usually the first thing is just setting up the stills because it takes the longest. Once they're, once they're all set up and fired up, it's pretty much just sitting around waiting for them to drip. And then you just get a bunch of your other stuff done, like filling out labels and things like that. And then you also have the whole tasting room. So a lot of time spent over there prepping and getting it ready for the weekends. Yeah, Nice work, man. Um, as far as like setting up the stills, uh, what does that consist of? Like you just have to light a fire underneath them? Well, you have to measure out the liquid going into it and then fill, fill them up and then fire, uh, light the fire underneath them. And then uh, also hook up the... Um, the cooling forum. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, uh, because once you heat up the spirit, then you have to cool it down really quickly. Is that correct? Yeah, it's pretty much um, the very basic science behind a still is that ethanols and oils boil at a lower temperature than water does. So as long as you keep the still within that range, the water will stay in the still, and the ethanols and oils will then turn to gases. They'll go up through the, the head of the still, and uh, then they hit what's called a counterflow condenser, which is just an outer casing around the tube that's constantly being circulated with cold water to make sure those gases always hit a proper temperature to be turned back into liquid so you can do your collections. Nice, dude. Yeah, that all went wi- right over my head. I don't know what any... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's cool, man. That's awesome. Because uh, you do primarily uh, gin for the most part, right? Well, we do. I mean, we do gin, and and we have a lot of liqueurs. We have released a um, unaged apple brandy in the past, but it was a very small batch. Um, at the stages that we're at right now with the equipment, uh, gin is our was where we got started. Um, it was a good way to kind of showcase what we could do with the our knowledge of botanicals and uh, a good start. Where I think a lot of distilleries they will kind of like put out a quick gin just to have a gin and have something on the shelf with their label on it um and instead of that are usually vodka just to just get something out really quick while they're doing their aging process also so they can get some kind of income coming into their business because that's a lot of money sitting around taking real estate uh for a lot of aging process or a lot of aging liquors yeah because uh basically the real estate that it takes to age a liquor, like as far as like barrels are concerned, takes a lot of money and a lot of storage space, which is that why vodka is so cheap? Because it's just, why, why is vodka so cheap? Why don't you tell people why, why vodka is so easy to make? Well, vodka, I mean, there are distilleries that just make uh, their wash. And so vodka is just pure ethanol, um, pure alcohol. And so a lot of people, and we do it as well, we, we, uh, order in our NGS, which is a neutral grain spirit. Um, ours is 100% Missouri-based corn ethanol, but, you know, come from anything that you can derive sugar from and convert it into the alcohol. And so I think a lot of people, they'll start with the vodka because they order the NGS right off the bat, and then they run it through activated carbon to clean it up. And even though a lot of vodkas will say it was distilled 20, 30 times or whatever, it, that's more of a marketing thing. Because usually, as long as you do your cuts right, it should only take six to seven times to get it up to 192 for your collection. And then from there, you just clean it up and then proof it back down. So a lot of people, they'll order their NGS and then they'll just clean it up and then they'll put it in a bottle. And it's their vodka. Yeah. Uh, is it... Is it uh an overkill to distill it like a thousand times there's a lot of there's a lot of places that say this is distilled 18 times like what's the the appropriate amount 
Well, a lot of those um, comes from some of the bigger stills. They have uh, refraction columns, and each one of the plates is a distillation. So it's not when they say that it doesn't mean that they're actually putting it in the still, running it, and then putting it in the still, running it over and over. I mean, sometimes uh, that's the case, but generally it's always, especially with vodka, uh, for time and all that, it's usually going through that refraction column. So each tiny little plate is a distillation. So like we have one at the distillery that I believe has uh, five plates. And so it's six dis distillations because it's the one on the bottom and then all the five plates until it goes through. But I don't really use that refraction column for anything because I want the oils and I want a lot of that flavor because when we re-distill like we do with the gin when we add the botanicals to it. I mean, we do that on a different still anyways, but I'm really just trying to capture the um, oils and the ethanol from that. Nice. Uh, is What's your favorite spirit to, to do? I'm sure you've toyed around with a lot of different brewing styles. Uh, do you have a favorite one that you like the most? Or as far as like spirits go, like do you like whiskey more so than vodka or, or gin more than, or liqueurs more than? I... I mean, I like, I, I probably like to uh, do the experiments most with like the liqueurs um, right now, um, but really looking into doing a lot of R&D on the brandy side um, once we once we get the new steel and stuff, which is just part of growing as a business. Um, it's kind of a mix. I just, I really do like doing the R&D when I get the time. Uh, we were pretty lucky here because we actually have three distillers counting me. Um, and we were all homebrew buddies together before this ever got started. And so we've always kind of bounced ideas off of each other. So even know like Brian, who's uh, one of our main uh, production distillers, and he's the one now here mostly running the stills where I'm mostly doing the tap room and Forrest helps out on both those. And then he does a lot of the sales uh, and goes around and checks in on accounts. Yeah just because it works better for all of our schedules of where everybody's at right now, but everything kind of gets passed by all three of us. And so um, Brian has really taken uh, a lot of the products like the Miko Amaro, and he did a lot of the footwork on it, but he was always referencing uh, to Forrest and I uh, and uh, just to see what we liked on the on where it was at, if he, we thought it was oversteeping on some botanicals. And so at the time when he was the first full-time distiller, he was able to spend a lot more time on developing some of these products. But but it was all three of us that really focused on when we first got started with the gin. Yeah, Nice, man. Uh, do you feel like part of your job is like educating the general public on like, <laughs> this is what an Amaro is. It's an Italian term for bitter. Uh, it's a digestif. Um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of like the tasting room goes into like, this is an American contemporary gin. It's not your traditional. What is it? What does that mean? What's an American contemporary gin? Uh, well, there's a couple questions in there. Uh, okay, American yeah, contemporary exactly. style gin. Uh, we'll address that one. Is uh, it's generally a more floral gin. It's not like a traditional like Dublin Dry, which is what most people are are uh, familiar with. Um. What was the other question? Oh, sorry, man. I know. I threw you like... Literally in the morning. I, I thought we were going to have drinks with this, but we don't even have coffee. Uh, we can come back to it. We can, we can grease the wheels and then come back to it, man. Um, yeah, so... Educating the public. Yeah. Educating the public is what you're talking about. Um, yeah, we do spend a lot of time uh, explaining what our products are to people, but I think it's kind of in a field where we shine a lot, and the distillation world, craft distillation is where craft brewing was about 10 years ago. Yeah. And so where the craft beers had to go out and, and the brewers and all that had to go out and tell the public um, that there's more than just the lager. You yeah. know, there's more than just Bud Light and, and Budweiser and all that. And that yeah. there's there's all these different uh, brew, uh, brew styles and beers and, and hops and all these different flavors that you can get from it. And so... Like now, you ask anybody, they know what an IPA is. They know what an oatmeal stout is. They know, you know, what a pell is, and they they understand it. And a lot of people even know what a bunch of different kinds of hops are and what flavor palette comes yeah. from it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what we're kind of doing with the distillation uh, right now. I mean, we do that even with, and and even in the craft beer um, world, they did a lot of small batch stuff with local companies 
to get their name out as well as just support other local folks. And that's what we're doing with, you know, we use Cuvée Coffee in the coffee liqueur. We use uh, Serious Chocolates Cacao Nips in the chocolate one. Um, we use uh, Texas Grapefruit Zest, you know, in the in the gin, which is a little bit more of a process because nobody actually zests it and dehydrates it for anybody. Yeah. There's a few companies that do it um, for beers, but you got a lot more of the white pit and stuff in it, and that's not what we want. So we actually had to find a commercial kitchen just to develop that one botanicals that, so we can continually use it. And then, as you know, we use all the grapefruit juice in the in the tasting room for the uh, Palomas or Salty Dogs, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, my favorite thing about uh, the, Re- the Revolution Gin is uh, um, that if you mix it with something, um, if you decide to use it for a cocktail, mix it with something, those botanicals and like all those special extra steps that you guys take actually shine through. Like, so if you decide to throw a tonic in with it, like a gin and tonic, um, you can still appreciate it for, for the, for the love and the care that you guys put into the, put into the gin. Um, that's, I think that's probably my favorite part, but I'm a bit of a sadist and I do like the a punch in the mouth. Uh, I'm an old whiskey drinker. So like I look for that burn. Um, so yeah, I really, I really appreciate the, the gin for, for its, um, bold presence. Yeah. It's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember, when we first started entering a few competitions, which we don't really do that much anymore, but uh, when we first started doing them, we we got third place in one with our gin, and they wrote in sipping gin. I was like, you know what? I'm more than happy to take third place with the sipping gin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but those competitions are always nice because they also send you back a lot of the notes from all the judges as they're tasting through. And a lot of them, we stopped doing them just because they're um, labeled. The gins are actually labeled so people know what they are. It's not blind taste testing. Yeah. Um, so we always ask them if we do do a competition, is it a blind taste testing? Because people, whether they like to believe it or not, they're visually already connected. I know a bunch of people who thought they liked certain kinds of liquor. And then when they weren't told what it was and they tried it, they realized that they didn't like it. There's just out of habit of always buying the same kind. And I mean, nothing. Nothing's wrong with that. We love, you know, yeah, love, love for people to keep buying their 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 uh, favorite spirits. But <laughs> it's nice to know. It's nice to get people to realize that there's a lot of different styles out there. Um, I mean, just even in the gin or or you know certain kinds of brandies or or the liqueurs. Like there's there's a lot of other to it. Yeah. There's a lot of open open uh, air to to what you want to put into it. Like even with the gin. I mean, once you add juniper to alcohol, you have a gin. So the rest is just left interpretation of what you actually want to put into it. You don't have to do your traditional style. You don't have to do 30 botanicals. We do six. And that's actually really low for most gens. Most, most gens are, you know, 10 and up of botanicals where they, they really take a lot of botanicals and they kind of bridge it together to have a flavor where I think ours, uh, it's connected to all six of them. You can, you can pinpoint all six botanicals. Um, what are the six botanicals that are in there for the folks that don't know? You should know this. I know it. I know the answer. Do you want me to do it? I work the tasting yeah, room. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, it's uh, juniper, uh, lavender, uh, lemongrass, pink peppercorn, uh, rosemary, and Texas grapefruit zest. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got it. <laughs> I passed the test. Um, yeah, man, uh, it's a, it's a beautiful strand of botanicals, uh, really works, works really well. Yeah. Uh, nice and floral, uh, I get big pink peppercorn, um, on the nose, but it's always interesting to hear what people taste. Like when people, uh, a chef came in and she was like, I get nothing but peppercorn. And then a soap maker came in and she was like, I get nothing but lavender, but they work with those things so often that that like that's the presence that they're so familiar with. They're like, I get that right off the bat. And then a little bit later, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm getting lemongrass now. Or like, oh, yeah, 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 now I'm starting to. So you're right. Yeah, you can easily navigate through the botanicals uh, in this gen. Yeah. The, the memory recognition, it's a strong thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Most definitely. So a lot of people who work with certain things, it's just going to come out. So. <laughs> How much of the brewing process is just like cleaning, cleaning the steels and then and, and like uh washing the freaking floor and all that all that 
terrible stuff. I know as far as like a brewing beer, uh, I've just because I've done it once with a buddy. Um, most of it was just like sanitizing, cleaning. And I was like, man, when are we going to brew this beer? <laughs> when are we going to get to the brewing process? And the brewing process was fairly short or at least like 25% of what we did all day was just brewing. Um, and the rest of it was like prepping. How much of that uh, is true for, for spirits? Well, it's it's different. And at least with, with spirits, we have a lot more room to not have to worry about contaminants as much. I mean, we do, you know, keep up with cleaning all of our equipment all the time, but where the brewing, uh, when you're brewing a beer, you're you're creating a perfect ecosystem for bacteria to grow, hence the yeast. And so it's really easy to get a contaminant, and that's the reason that they go to such the uh, far extent of sanitizing, cleaning everything, using PPW, you know, using the sanitizer, all that, you know, there's a lot of that in there because you need to make sure that there's nothing that's, you know, enough of it there to actually overthrow the yeast and what it's doing and cause a contaminant, which, I mean, there's other styles where you would do that. You know, you want to keep some of that stuff for like farmhouse styles and, and things like that, where the distillation, um, the good thing is, is you can always, if you make an, if you make a mistake or if you do something and it doesn't, it doesn't set up right, you can always strip it just to get alcohol from it. So you can always run it a couple more times and then clean it back up and, and get some, most of what you, uh, put in there out of, you know, back out of it. So it's a, just kind of a clean alcohol, but you know, most of that would be used for you know, cleaning and stuff like that because alcohol is a strong stripping agent. You know, you can use it for doing a lot of cleaning. Yeah. Um, so, like you said, you know, alcohol kills everything. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, my liver <laughs> <laughs> and my sex drive as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> Erection. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, partially that does do that from time to time. I've definitely yeah. been there before where I'm like, whew, yeah, shouldn't have had that yeah, whiskey. Whiskey dick. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, that's funny, man. <laughs> a lot of preparation goes into that. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very nice. Awesome, man. Um, do you, uh, uh, is it important that you work closely with like local, you, you use Texas grapefruit rind, um, uh, what else we use outsource like a, a local, uh, coffee brewer for the for the cuvee uh, coffee do you guys give back to like farms around here we're also in this small community of like other businesses too which we all kind of i guess help each other out as far as like last stands out here argus cider um uh even jester king like you've repurposed some some bottles and and made some farmhouse spirits um from uh uh from some of their repurposing some of their, their fruits and, and yeast cultures, uh, and barrels. Um, how important is it to, to keep those relationships up? Um, I don't know. Or is that just like a rad thing to do to, to have these radical neighbors, I guess, for lack of a better term that like, you're able to like, Hey, can I borrow that barrel whenever you're done with it? Well, we want to make a brandy or, or whatever. Well, I think, I mean, a lot of, a lot of that, comes from um a lot of the brewers and distillers and cideries and wineries and all that um we use a lot of the same equipment so even when people are getting started they kind of go out and ask other people to to explain it to them or ask them about the equipment it's like hey have you ever used this style of filter have you ever used this pump like does it work well um have you ever had any problems because you know as a small business putting money down on anything can be a hindrance, especially if it's a piece of equipment or something that doesn't work. And so it, it really built up um, that community. And it's kind of went into, as everybody's grown and, and everybody's kind of came into their own um, styles of brewing and, and distilling and all that, is we still hang out and drink and nerd out and talk about what yeah. we're doing. And, and if there's something that we uh, discard, so like say the vanilla beans, uh, the mezzanote, uh, or sorry, the uh, Madagascar vanilla beans, the mezzanote is coffee. Um, that, when we first got started, was $95 a pound. And we use a pound and the, the gallons that we do. And um, now it's about $495 for that pound. 
And so there's been a lot of times that we've traded or given those vanilla beans after we use them because there's still a lot of oils, there's still a lot of flavors in them. Yeah. And so they work well for aroma or they work well for like something a long-term steeping than what we did. And that saves somebody a lot of money. Um, and then, you know, we get, we do barrel exchanges and stuff like that. I mean, with our, like our SBS or single barrel series, um, we've done all kinds of barrels. I mean, we, we used one of Jester King's RU55 barrels and aged the gin in that. Um, we used a Mazizo Mascal barrel from Oaxaca, Mexico, and did that. And then the re- most recent one was the uh, Iron Root Republic bourbon barrel. Um, and the first one was a French oak barrel used to oxidize the Tempadillo wine for a port. You keep sticking that closer nice. and closer to I'm my sorry, face. Man. Yeah. <laughs> keep cramming this microphone in your face. I'm sorry, man. I forgot the stand. I, I just <laughs> ran around the Renaissance Festival and left a bunch of my equipment. It was all over the fucking place. So it's a pain for me, too, that I have to hold this thing. So trust me, <laughs> I'm not trying to get it closer. My hand's just right. getting tired. Right. <laughs> You're doing well, though. I'm sorry. It, it's all good. It's all good. It just started getting into the airplane mode. It's like they just stick it on the cheek and it just. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw this skit from her somewhere. <laughs> that's the whole. Sh- this is like gonna be the whole spiel. Is I'm gonna. That's the the, the uh, experiment. I'm gonna try today to see see how close I can get this microphone to your face without you flipping out on me. <laughs> I need an adult. It's <laughs> uh, funny. But. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we, we do do a lot of stuff with other folks, and and this community of um, or this industry really, we're really lucky to have so many great people that want to work with each other and really go out of their way to help each other um, grow as businesses and just as what we do as distillers or brewers or whatever. Um, so it's really nice, and I know we've we've told people. And I've always, I've always told people that if you get in this industry and you act like everybody's your competition, that's exactly what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, but if you come in and you're humble and you and you just go and be honest with people and tell them where you're at and what you're doing and all that, you're going to find a lot of people say, hey, I, I've done that kind of thing before. Here's a couple things to avoid. And, and that kind of gets you a learning curve. And it's nice to, to get ahead of the game and, and not have to make all those stumblings and mistakes yep. to get something that you want to produce or you want to make. Um, and it's and it's just really nice to do that. It's it's nice that, that the community is so open to, to helping people out like that. Yep. And so we've, we've gotten a lot of uh, blessings on that end as we've grown. So we've tried to give back as much as we possibly can. Um, to the newer folks starting up their own stuff like we love to have folks come out to the tasting room and hang out and if they want to come and and you know talk to us or see some equipment we can kind of show them how things are set up because we've always gotten that same courtesy back from other folks that are uh, ahead of us on certain areas so um would it work if uh would it work if we if we took a tour would that work audibly or do you have to see some of the stuff um i mean we could, yeah. we could pretty much like do the same tour. I mean, I could do it with. We can walk through, and I usually point at stuff. But uh, I'll I'll explain it. Uh, like, well, I point at a. Uh, uh, you want to do that? Sure. Yeah, let's do it, dude. We all say I'm a lot. <laughs> Don't worry, man. Uh, you were out visiting. I'm a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. This now the microphone is going to be crammed in your face. Uh, a little more so. Oh, nice. Well, we're indoors now, so it, it's fine. You know, I just don't want customers to see the see it. You know. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll start uh, on the tour. I mean, I, this is pretty much a script all the time. You know. Yeah, I figured. I figured this would just roll right off the tongue for you, like because you give tours all the time. What is the worst part about giving a tour? Is it the people that know their shit and then want to interrupt you and be like, uh, "What is that?" There are a lot of humbling moments uh, when giving a tour. Like, I don't mind people asking questions. I generally will ask them to wait until the end because it does throw me off as I'm trying to explain to what we're doing. Um, but really, the the only really annoying part of giving a tour is when somebody's read an article and they're regurgitating it out like it's their information. Yeah. And, and they're asking you, like, really technical questions. And there's been several times where I've had somebody that asked and I'm like well you're asking questions that's over all these other folks' heads yeah. and you're just taking up the time 
that they're going to go back over there and get a drink after they do the tour because they just want the very basic information, straightforward, and then maybe learn a few more things that they didn't know about distillation. Um, so people like that, they, they're really just kind of showing off. And so sometimes it's about like asking them to wait and be like, you know what, we'll, we'll talk afterwards. If you want to go through that, I'm happy to do it. Um, but it's, I mean, it, I've seen it in the, the brewing world too where they'll go up and they'll ask 101 questions and then order a Miller Lite. You know, like they're just like, all right, well, we asked all these questions. I just want you to know that I know all this information. It's like, well, why are you asking the question if you already know it? Yeah. Like, are you asking if it's true, what you know, or is it not? Or are you just trying to show off and, and yeah. show that you know all this stuff? Which is, I mean, it, it happens in everybody's field. Sure, yeah. It totally does. Um, as far as how we do here, a lot of it is, uh, like I said earlier, we order a neutral green spirit. It's 100% uh, Missouri-based corn ethanol. We'll start with the gin, kind of explain how we do that. Okay. Um, like we said earlier, we move it over here into a larger tank that's a holding tank that's sitting on a scale. The scale is part of the equation to figure out how to do proofing. Once you have it over in the tank, you'll clean it up through activated carbon, so charcoal. Imagine kind of like a Brita filter, it's the same difference. Um, we'll pump it through there for several days until there's no smell and no taste. Because even though the neutral grain spirit comes in and it's pure alcohol, there's still smell and there's still a little taste to it. So we'll clean it up through the activated carbon. And then uh, once I have the clean ethanol, I then add the six botanicals, steep them all for 24 hours except for the Texas grapefruit zest pill, that's about three to four hours. Otherwise you start catching some candy notes uh, that come out. And once that's done, you then have, once you pull off the alcohol off the botanicals, you then have what's called a maceration. Um, a maceration is just the flavors from the botanicals and the oils. Once you have your maceration, you add it into your stills or your still. And like we were saying a little earlier is that the very basic science around how it still works is that your water uh, boils at a lower temperature than your ethanols and oils. So as long as you keep your still within that range, the water stays in the still, uh, all your impurities and all that will do that is the same way because imagine like a rain cloud system, all that has weight. So that stays in there. So once the ethanols and oils turn to gases, they'll go up through the, the head, come around uh, the arm, hit the counterflow condenser, um, which was just the outer casing around that tube, creating a cold front to make sure those gases always hit a proper temperature to be turned back into a liquid so then we can collect. Once we've gotten all of our collections and we ran the entire maceration, we'll go back to that holding tank. We'll do our equation, add distilled water to it. And the reason that is, is because as, as you know, like distilled water has, has no minerals or anything in it. It's just purely to get it to proof yeah. and not adding or subtracting anything. Um, so once we have that, with the help of a few employees and occasionally a volunteer or two, we hand bottle, hand label, hand write in every single label and ship them out. As far as the uh, cafecito goes, um, we get the mezzanote blend of coffee from Cuvée Coffee. We'll uh, ground it up, turn it into a cold brew coffee. And the reason we do a cold brew coffee is because that stabilizes those freshness and the quality of the oils of the coffee beans. So a lot of people who do coffee liqueurs, they'll actually add the coffee directly in the alcohol, using the alcohol to extract out the flavors from it, but alcohol can be a little bit too aggressive. So by doing a cold brew, since we get such a high quality and fresh coffee bean, no more than seven days from when it's roasted do we make the cafecito, that we always make sure that we do the cold brew. Um, we'll add that to the alcohol afterwards, because all that's stable then. Uh, lightly sweetened with a demerara sugar and then steep whole Madagascar vanilla beans in it for 24 hours. And we'll usually do a big batch of it, pull half the batch off or sometimes a little smaller or more depending on demand. And then we'll steep the cacao nips in it from serious chocolate for the chocolate cafecito. Yeah. And then as far as like the uh, Amaro, these are the ones that we're talking about is really just all the four flagship products. I mean, this is, we won't go into all the small, you know, small batch stuff that we do all the time. The Maro is probably the most labor intensive and time consuming at this point is because it takes, you know, it takes about 24 hours doing prep um, to get everything ready to go into it. Um, and then it takes four days of steeping to get it to, to do it. And it's actually Texas first tomorrow. Uh, there is a few Italian restaurants that do make their own in-house 
Amaro's, but we're the first distillery to release one in Texas. Congrats on that, by the way. Yeah, nice work on being the first one there to, yeah. to draw your line in the sand. Nice work, dude. We really just we really wanted to come out with one. Uh, that was like one of Brian's. Um, he took the reins on that one, and it's actually uh, it translates to bitter friend and Amico, me is, is his mom's maiden name. Oh, nice. And so he kind of got the the mom credit on that one. Cool, yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> right and um yeah that's that's i mean that's pretty much the process of that once it's all once it's all uh steeped then we'll add a little bit of sweetener to it just to kind of wake up some of the notes yeah. in it um one of my favorite things about the amaro though that that um when we first got started is at first we had some trouble finding cedar to go into it because we wanted to charge cedar and put it in there but we can't use a cedar that ever touched a saw with oil. Oh, really? So it has to be like a commercial saw for like uh, kitchen safe stuff, you know? So uh, we actually found a company who makes the, the like salmon boards and stuff like that that you've seen uh -huh. that you can cook with a piece of cedar. Yeah. Those, um, we get all their scrap cuts pieces and then we actually take that, bring it here and use a flamethrower to lightly toast it which oh no shit pretty awesome you know that, that, that's like you know the one of the bucket lists is like put a flamethrower on a company card you know <laughs> that's i i did i did uh i think i ended up pissing off forrest and brian that day because i kept referring back to the uh space balls yeah. scene when he's like the flamethrower the kids love it yeah, I, I, I did that only you know 20 30 times yeah. before they finally turned the propane off and took it back away from me so adorable <laughs> that's awesome man very cool so very cool. yeah that's pretty much the rundown of the the four flagship products i mean we also do like the single barrel series and then the the jester king liqueurs which is a cherry raspberry and blueberry right now but we also do an apricot and those are those are exclusive just to the tasting room right the farmhouse liqueurs they are for the most part we do occasionally um do a deal with as one of the mom pop shops like Austin Shaker, um, where we'll release like a case to them, nice. and that's and sometimes that's just because there's an event coming up and we have to go through all those tiers to get the booze to if it's like a licensed liquor license spot, it still has to go through the distributor, through the liquor store, and then finally to the restaurant. Um, so if there was something that we're going to do with those liqueurs, like we did at beer plant, they wanted to use the blueberry one. We had to go through all those steps just to get them a case because yeah. we can't just bring a case over. Um, but how we come about with those is that was actually like we were talking earlier about just drinking and nerding out, yeah. um, came from them telling us that after they pull the fruit off the beer, it's covered in the yeast culture because the yeast culture, um, will eat all the fruit out of the, or sorry, eat all the sugar out of the fruit. And so we actually take that pulp and we're like, well, let's see if we can do anything with it. We took the pulp and put it on alcohol for over a year to extract out um, the remaining fruit flavors, the uh, flavor, a little bit of the flavor of his beer that was soaking in and the flavor of the yeast culture that was eating on it. And we'll add a little bit of sweetener at the end of it just to wake up like the fruit notes and stuff that's gone dormant in the whole processing of it. So that would have been another waste product that would have been something they would have put in their composting or something like that but we actually gave it an extra step and turned it into a a um very valuable product but it's always very small batch because we only end up with about 150 of those little half bottles yeah. every time we do it yeah and that's super cool to like repurpose reuse like uh don't throw it out just yet we yeah. can still make some booze out of it <laughs> that's awesome man very cool very cool excellent dude excellent um can you ship out of the out of the state Another question that I know the answer to, but uh, just in case anybody out there listening is, is curious how to get a hold of how to get a hold of the booze, you can't ship out of here, right? No, we can't. Uh, Texas law is you're not allowed to ship alcohol, so we can't. Um, we've been trying to work to get a distributor out in California because California laws are different. Oh. They can actually ship anywhere in the world they want to. Cool. Uh, so we've been trying to get. A distributor out there so that we can then find a liquor store um, we have a bunch of accounts and stuff out there too um, once we do that then when people ask me that question I'm like I can't ship it to you out of Texas but if you contact this liquor store they can ship it to you wherever you're at cool, man. so kind of how we get around that here um, is as uh, so we have people that are visiting that are flying back we bought these little jet bags 
that are nice that you can just put the bottle in and seal it up and that way if it pops open it can absorb it all and and um you know if there gets broken because baggage handlers no offense on them but you know whatever <laughs> yeah. they're just broken up stuff in my bags um yeah those bags are pretty rad there's like a little rag in there that absorbs was it 750 milliliters something like that yeah so it's a nice way it's a nice way if people are out visiting to that they want to take a couple of bottles home we can at least seal it up and usually most of the time we just throw the bag in and be like here just take it take it with you because it's a dollar for the bag you know sure, sure. yeah that's nice man that's nice. Um, what about uh, if people want to buy on Sundays? Another question that if people want to buy a bottle on Sundays, you can't do it. Silly Texas laws. Yeah, that's. I mean, that one, that one's probably not going to go away anytime soon. I mean, we. It's the the spirit world or the the just even brewing and all that, but really alcohol. There's a lot of regulations on it. We're very highly regulated industry. Um, we can't sell on Sundays. It's the same thing as like liquor stores. You can't sell bottles to go. We can sell, you know, the cocktails out here in the tasting room, but we can't we can't do the bottles to take home. Um, there's certain holidays that we can't do it on. There's actually days after certain holidays that they don't allow you to do it on. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a lot of um, working through and learning all those those laws and making sure not to step on one. But um, yeah, we will get people that we used to actually be open prior before we ever opened the tasting room yeah. uh, on Sundays. But I stopped doing it because no matter what would happen, because um, we weren't selling cocktails or anything at that time, we we're just doing a free tasting yeah. is and I do a tour or whatever is people would get so upset that they couldn't buy a bottle that no matter how good of experience they had it was always ending on a negative note. So he stopped doing it and I had to start leaving the doors closed. So people wouldn't come over because I was also just doing productions on Sundays to yeah. kind of keep up with everything going on. Um, so that's what's really nice about the tasting room is it's like, well, you know, I can't sell you a bottle, yeah. but what I can do is tell you where to go get one tomorrow or you can come back and, and hit us up, you know, call us if we're out here, we can sell you a bottle tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but at least I can give you a couple cocktails for your travel coming out here sure. and give you a tour and do all that. And so they're yeah. still getting, they're still getting a, you know, a glass of their spirit on, on a Sunday, but yeah. they just don't get a bottle to go home with. Yeah. So it's, it's a trade, you know, sure, man. and even, even with like how many we can sell, we're still regulated it's to seven uh, fifties per person per 30 day stint. Yeah. Um, we've been trying to change that up to like six bottles, but right now it's only two. You can only get two bottles at a time uh, if you're buying from the distillery. Yeah, for 30 days. For 30 days. <laughs> wow. So silly, man. Why is that law? Do you know? I don't even know why. I, I, well, I, I was going to say, and I, like, I was trying to think of all, like, the meaner things to say, but I'm not going to do it. Um, it's just, there, a lot of those are just old, like, blue laws. And, um, they were written, like, during, like, Prohibition and shit, right? Yeah, and then some of them a little later, but they were for different reasons. Um, a lot of the distilleries and stuff like that didn't even get to a area where they could have uh, sold bottles or even, you know, a lot of this is still new. Yeah. And so as it's getting newer, they're starting to see the income come into the state for it and, and seeing all the benefits. And so now, um, you know, the lobbyists and, and other people who like ADI and all that, they're, they're really trying to change those laws to help out the smaller guys. Um, but it takes time, like as as anybody would know who's who's ever tried to work with any of that kind of stuff is is you just kind of have to be there at the right time. You got to you know get somebody to push things through, get bills, yeah. you know, reading yeah. rainbow stuff. Yeah, man, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Mr. Bill, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> oh, no, Schoolhouse Rock, yeah, yeah, Schoolhouse Rock. I'm uh, just a bill up here on Capitol Hill. Uh, <laughs> um, did we did we go through the? I didn't want to skip anything in the tour. Is there anything else? Uh, I don't want to cut it short or be one of those guys like, hey, I've got a question. Like, oh, hold on, pipe down, save it till the end. Nah, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much the main tour. Um, it, usually I'll extend it out and go in more details um, depending on how the reaction are to people. Some people just want to see the setup. Yeah. Other people really want to go through everything and learn a lot. And so if, if people come out and they do the tours on the weekends with us, I'll just kind of gauge it to see how people are. And sometimes, you know, we'll do the short one, thank everybody for their attention and time and all that. And half the crowd will leave and a few will stay. And those are the people who I'll go a little bit more in detail with because I don't want to keep people over here if they're just trying to have a drink and they just wanted to see the very basis of, of what we're doing. Yeah. 
That's a, that's a good way to, to gauge the crowd or know your crowd. Yeah. Uh, do you ever have anybody that wants to like turn the sirens on the fire truck? Like, can I turn this faucet on? Like, uh, sure. Why don't you turn this water sink on over here? This hand washing sink. <laughs> if you want to do anything, I guess you can hit this switch over here. Um, not, not too bad, but we have had like when people bring their kids out, it's like, make sure, I mean, this is like a kid's dream. There's, there's little turnstiles and yeah. you know, there's wheels everywhere and, yeah. and latches and everything. So kids like to try to grab stuff and we're like, if they open that up, you're paying for that entire thing. So yeah. don't watch, you know, watch your kids. And then, you know, you always get, you always get those people yeah. that come in to try to do stuff like that. Most of the time, the biggest thing that I, I think we've, we've had people try to do. And I mean, it's just the public uh, to some extent is, is we've had people trying to go through boxes. Like I, I've been looked over when we're giving a tour and they're like digging through a box to see what's in it. And it's like, it, what, are, what are you doing? Yeah, don't do that. It's like, don't touch that. Why, like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Like it's, it's the same thing where, where we had people who would try to sit on the barrels yeah. or they open, like pull up the little, uh, you know, bong hole cork. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's to, to see what's in it. And you're like, what do you like? Don't touch that. Like we, we, we were really, What's nice with the tasting room is those kinds of folks we know when they come in and we're just like, all right, we're not going to take you over there. But for most, like 99.9% of people who come here who are always game and, and very respectful and amazing, you know, um, those are not the people that I have to stick painter's staple and barrel says do not touch, you know, <laughs> but it's that one person who does. But yeah. for the moment, I mean, over in the four years, it's happened, you know, a small handful of times, just a couple of times. And yeah. usually you know we'll tell them to go if it's a, if it's an issue because because yeah. we're not we want people to come out here have a good time i mean it goes with even in the the tasting room if somebody's coming in here and they're being loud and screaming and hollering and and you know trying to be drunk and all that yeah. we'll, we'll ask them to go ahead and go home because sure. we want people to come out here and enjoy themselves and and not be dealing with with that kind of bar scene or what what it gets more accepted at least and right. kind of like you know your bars and stuff where it's an experience to come out here yeah we yeah. we don't want it to be a bar like yeah, it is a, it is a cocktail lounge you know we do have the cocktails but it's not it's not a place you go and party and, and go crazy or anything but if you have like a group of folks and, and you're just wanting to have good cocktails and hang out i mean we get a lot of bachelor parties and bachelorette parties and just company events and things like that you know and they'll, they'll come out here and they want that kind of space they don't want to book at bars and stuff like that i mean there's always those great bars that they can accommodate for that but they just don't want that element and that's something that we try to we've, we've been very lucky and we try to you know control it or, or, or get it out if it's a problem which is why a lot of the breweries and distilleries have stopped letting party buses come in yeah. because they're just they don't like you're not going to drop 20 drunk people off on me yeah. and then i'm liable for it yeah i mean how can i argue that these 20 people and there's no vehicle around didn't drink at my spot yeah. and so a lot of the tour buses like you know there's a lot of really amazing brew bus uh, tour companies here in, in Austin and in the Texas area that come through here all the time. And we have a very well-structured setup of what's expected from them as well as what's expected from us. Yeah. And we've always had great reviews back from that and great reviews to them as just being like, okay, I, I know who the pinpoint person is. I know who to contact, I knew to talk because I don't want people to come out here and me have to be the person to say, hey, you're overstepping. I'd rather the person on the tour bus who's responsible for them say that so it's them controlling it and not me being in, you know, yeah. giving somebody a negative experience, but sure. it's also not accepted if people act like that. Yeah. And you want people to have a you want people to appreciate um, your product for the for the love and the care that you put into it, especially if it's their first time. Um, and as opposed to just like coming out and like, let's do shots of it, dude, off of, bro off of I don't know, Ted's nipples. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there was one kid that came in and he was a younger kid. This was, this was a couple of years back and he started singing that shot song you hear in the bar. <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, dude, you, you got to turn the yeah. record out. He, and he was like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, no, That's enough, yeah. no. <laughs> he was actually turned out to be a nice, nice guy. He hung out and talked for a while. He's just barely 21 you yeah. know just just over the cusp yeah <laughs> and so we had to have a conversation of uh not only do you have to be 21 you have to have be mature enough yeah <laughs> there's more to it than just being 21 right, That's funny. right. <laughs> uh dude i'm so so glad you brought up the word bunghole 
I don't know how we haven't gone over this yet. This is a real thing. This is not yeah. just a Beavis and Butthead thing. What is a bunghole? Tell people what bungholes are. So it's basically, it's just, it's, it's a hole in the side of the barrel so that you can use a thief to, which is a long tube, to take samples out so you can see what their product is. Yeah. So, you know, people, some people, they'll do the screw in the front if they're stacking the barrels. But generally what the bong hole is, is it's made to, to extract some alcohol out to see where it's at and its stages. Yeah. Um, so people, people love to reference it all the time. <laughs> and actually, uh, I, have, I have something I'll show you all if people come out. I'm, I've been meaning to hang it up, but I have an old uh, bong hole die drill, hand, hand screwer. <laughs> And that my brother picked up at an auction. A that's bung. an antique, an antique bunghole uh, die uh, drill bit. And, uh, a bunghole drill. That's yeah, great. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. It's a handheld one, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's important. Yes, that's and so my brother, he was like, do you know what this is? And I, was, and I couldn't tell when he sent it to or when he sent me the picture. But when I got here, I knew exactly what it was. <laughs> and so every now and then, when you get the right kind of crew, I was like, here, this, you guys got to look at this. Yeah. Because they, they, you know, it just goes into depth jokes from then on out about the bunghole drill yeah endless endless right. bunghole jokes right. that's amazing <laughs> so good dude uh well we're at the par uh, part of the podcast where if there's anything that we haven't covered like that you want to talk about uh as far as like brewing goes that you wish the general public knew more about uh we'll talk about that now um but if not we'll go right you throw it right back my way and uh we'll keep on moving i think for the general public um Mostly, the only thing I could ask is that don't think that there's a certain style to every liquor that all whiskey or all gins or all that stuff tasty like, you know, because a lot of people be like, oh, I don't like tequila. Yeah. I don't like, you know, give it a shot. Just try it. Just you have a little sip. Go, go to your local businesses and go try them because it's a nice way to get the experience without having to drop 30 40 bucks on a bottle of something you might not like so it's a nice way of spending your day off just to go around and, and support local folks and and try something new yeah nice dude that's a very well uh well words well parting words for the general public nice well that might be the most profound one i've ever gotten nice work dude the coffee's kicking in. yeah <laughs> coffee's starting to work now finally um and then last but not least dude we always end with a poop story have you ever pooped your pants or uh, do you know anybody that maybe has a poop story or a poop story that you know of that's just like epic fail from someone? I was trying to think of that one earlier and I mentioned one. I was like, that, that would actually be all right. But now I forgot. Was it uh, the one with Bob, uh, one of our patrons? We, we, uh, we used to. Boston Bob. Boston Bob. Yeah, we used to work at uh, John and myself. Both used to work at a, a bar together and we had a patron named, named Boston Bob. Sorry, I'm not, I feel like I'm stilling the thunder here. What's uh, uh, one of, one of my favorite stories before we, we tell the poop story of him is uh, is when he asked Max, he, he's like, hey, Max, what do you think of Star Wars? And Max is like, oh, you know, I, I like the movies, whatever. And he's like, man, I think space is fucking retarded. Yeah. Like, I tried to get the accent. I know I don't have it, but it was like space. from then on out, it was just every time we do something, they're like, hey, what do, you think of, what do you think of Star Wars? Space is fucking retarded. Space is retarded. <laughs> <laughs> But there, he was one of those people, man. He, if he was having a couple of drinks, there was just a switch, yeah, and it just clicked over. So you, like, you can give him one beer and not know that he drank something before because he'd be fine. And all of a sudden, it was just, you know, click over, and, and you'd see the glaze go over his eyes. And, yeah, and so we only saw him maybe three times a year when he was out visiting, and one of the times. Uh, it was early in the day, yeah. and it's during happy hour, and we were all sitting there, and, and we were, I don't remember why we had all the staff there so early, but uh, Boston Bob came in and uh, sitting at the end of the bar and had a beer and then just disappeared, and we thought he went out the back door, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, through the patio or whatnot, <laughs> and it was probably 30 minutes past, yeah. <laughs> and we realized that he went and passed out in the restroom, yeah. pants down. And I don't remember, we were trying to decide this earlier. I think it might have been Nate, but we might be wrong on that, who had to climb underneath the stall yeah. to unlock it because we couldn't get him to respond. Yeah. <laughs> and then we finally get him to respond. And we're like, all right, dude, let's get you a cab. And he's like, no, no, I'm just a couple blocks away because yeah. he's staying with his buddy down the street. Right. And, uh, and I guess he got like a half a block away and fell asleep <laughs> in that whistle. Yeah. And Stephanie found him. She's like recognized his shoes sticking out of one of the whistles when they're doing all that work over there. <laughs> 
Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Boston Bob passed out with his pants down. He actually was going to the restroom and passed out. That's oh, all. Oh, yeah. No, he, he, was on the, he was on the stool. Was like, on the like just, and just to sleep lick yeah. on himself just, just passed out. There's a, there's a picture out there circulating somewhere. Someone snapped of like, <laughs> Boston Bob with his whitey tighties around his ankles <laughs> just passed out over the stall shot it was, just, it was yeah no completely completely out and I think they even showed that picture to him and he just laughed about yeah, it yeah yeah he's like oh god I had a lot to drink that day yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. I was spaced out. I was spaced out. Yeah, yeah. It, was it was. retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome, dude. Dude, you did amazing, like so well, so well. Thank you so much for for uh, having my shitty podcast out here and let me do this, man. That no was past worries. due. And people should come out and come see us on Sundays because it's usually the crew. Yeah, man. Where can people find you uh, that that aren't familiar with where where we where we're located? So we're. The easiest address in the world is one two three four five Paul's Valley Road, uh, Building G and, and H. Um, we're we're out on Fitchy Road by Jester King, and and we're neighbors of Last Stand in August. And um, a lot of the people who listen to your podcast is old staff and and stuff like that, so they they remember Andy and you, and uh, they have one of you two out here on on Sundays. But we're open uh, Fridays and I'm out here usually by myself from three to seven. And then Saturdays we have the crew where it's Forrest, who's one of the distillers, uh, Mark and I, who have been out here for a long time and then us on Sunday. So, and the only thing is, is if you come on Sunday, we can't sell you a bottle. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the only stipulation. Yeah. Yeah. Nice dude. Nice. And then, uh, on Facebook, uh, and Instagram, I'm sure like yeah. uh, just revolution spirits yeah cool man yeah and if, if people ever want to they can just look at our website and i'll have all that stuff on there because i don't really mess a lot with the social media but you, it's a good way i know at least with the instagram and the facebook is probably the best way to keep up with our small releases and the events and stuff going out uh going on out here and so. I'll, I'll include uh the link to the website uh at the on this episode's pod on this podcast episode fuck i can't spit it out now i need coffee um so uh you can just click the click the quick link there uh if you're curious but uh other than that man that's it for us yeah yeah time time to open up open up the open up the doors man play us out shitty ukulele that's right (laughs) nice work dude